Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft Tapes. Welcome to the Lovecraft Tapes Podcast. This is K-16 Mulholland. I am Jeremy, Keeper of Arcane Lore, and we play Call of Cthulhu, a role-playing game filled with cosmic horror, existential dread, and a heaping bucket of hot buttered popcorn with a strange hole at the bottom. Your investigators of the unknown are Brian as Ben. Wait, I thought I was Brian as Brian. Lupine as Rosa. Segway to hell. And Matt as Diego. Ho house, ho house, ho house, three ho house. On the Segway to hell, you get complimentary ho house. Well, welcome, players. Uh, tonight, as you know, we will be answering questions regarding the podcast and our recently completed scenario. Spoiler alert. We will discuss all the nitty-gritty details of this adventure, so if you haven't listened yet, you may want to go back and start at K-16, Tape 1, Prologue, before listening to the rest of this episode. You have been warned. Listeners, if you would like to drop us a letter from beyond, please visit lovecrafttapes.com anytime and fill out our contact form. We accept thoughtful criticism, thirsty praise, and even a buy one, get one free voucher at the local Froyo. Mm, Froyo. <laughs> also, a gentle reminder that if you would like to chat with us in real time, join our Discord server at discord.lovecrafttapes.com today and rejoice as Brian dispenses thumbs up emoji reactions with reckless abandon. I can't afford Nitro. This show is brought to you in part by our generous fans and supporters on patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes. So thank you to Jordy Rose, Atulia, Barry Robeson, Brownie Davis, Chris Parker, Elizabeth Grieve, James May. John Scarcella, The Frilled Shark, Little Rowan Plays, Kyle Sherman, Huge Pie, Amanda Power, Jefferson Bell, Eric Zane, Olda Pulker, Mitch L., Ripley Iwin, Eric Phillips, Malabar 57, Snow, Andrew Petty, Dom Driver, Frank Delventhal, Horse Draper, Luke Corbin, Prophet of Woe, David Winterman, Boston Harbor Horror, Discordiant, Stephen Gregory, Liz Moonberry, Robert Jamison, Chainsaw, Unicorn, Shelly DM, Captain Vashton, Peter VDB, James Brown, Flix Capacitator, Ruined Ashes, Shane Stoley, Ineptus, Astartes, Matthew, Kevin C, Davidia Vonzerovich, Phoenix Black, Oddity, J.R., J. Clark, Oritako, Brindle Stubbs, A.E. Jonesy, Marty Dixon, LMF10, Ba Tran, Kie, Rolling Boxcars, Ryan Hill, Eric Hansen, Jeffrey Young, Bifford, Reaper Jones, Sean McConnell, Poppy Mama, Rich Pogue, John Caballero, Holden Omans, Justin Levesque, Phil Campbell, Nicholas Hutto, John Konopasik, Mick Cope, Kevin G., Robert Lamb, Jehovah's Thickness. Tomas, Benjamin King, Certain Wizard of Isaglass, Steve L., Matt's sister, literally. Don't forget Cherry, Robert Lutzner, The Great Scott, Jeff Howie, Smegmus Grendelgunge, Jack, Chris Evans, Sarah Wiley, and David Agate. Guys, thanks. Yes, thanks so much. thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, dear investigators, we recap K-16 Mulholland. Previously on the Lovecraft Tapes. After the horrors of a mushroom infestation in Las Cruces, the families of Ben and Rosa decided it might be best to ship their kids off to summer camp, along with Rosa's cousin, Diego. The three settled in at Camp Mulholland, but it isn't long 
before strange happenings plagued them with the promise of another mystery. Together, they battle encroaching badness to confront a family of face-sucking cryptids hiding out in the deep, dark California woods. Alright guys, let's A some friggin' cues. What do you say? Oh yeah, do it. Croce has a question for everybody. I thought this might be fun because my answer is going to be succinct. What's everyone's worst slash best summer camp experiences? This ought to be good. I'll go first. I've never been to summer camp. Neither have I. Yeah! Woo! (laughs) The closest I've ever come is uh, being in the Boy Scouts. You were in the Boy Scouts? Yeah, I actually got kicked out of the Boy Scouts. I don't remember why, but... Oh, I know why. I have one experience where it wasn't really like a camp, but it was like a day thing while your parents are at work. You'd go to this club and they would take you to the park and they'd do the different activities. The only reason I remember it is because they were going to have us run through sprinklers in the public park. And they said, okay, everybody take your clothes off and put your swimsuits on in the middle of the park. It was a different time. It was a different time, but still, I refused and I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And the guy said, no. So I started to walk to the bathroom and they called my mom to come pick me up because I was being difficult. And when my mom found out, my mom's a fiery Irish woman, she let, ripped into that guy. That was my camp experience. So I went to a lot of like nature camps and we went out like hiking and stuff. I was just kind of goofing around, but I was also being me and I definitely went after a squirrel. I skinned my knee um like gravel and so i had to like tell the counselor or whatever they made all the other kids get on the bus and you know they had to like put gloves on and like put personal protective equipment on and we don't know what kind of bloodborne pathogens you're carrying i knew what why they had to do it but it was still like it was really really bloody so that was probably the worst and then i don't know the best was i went to this camp where we got to pretend that we were like a scientific team on the bottom of Lake Ontario in a special submersible and uh, do all these scientific tests and stuff. And I was like 13. So I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Science is always awesome when you're being led by somebody that makes it fun. I never went to a summer camp, summer camp. Closest I ever came to is in high school. I took a, an AP environmental science course, which everybody takes because one of the perks of that is you get to do a four-day weekend trip with your classmates up into the very north tip of the lower peninsula of Michigan. Well, while we were there, we stayed in what is normally a summer camp, so that's that's why this qualifies. Uh, but I remember during one of the hikes that we were taking, um, we were following one of the two teachers that was there he's like oh yeah come on follow me check this out and so a small group of us split off from the main group thinking oh you know the teacher knows where he's going he he didn't know where he was going we ended up getting lost and wandering around just like state forest land for several hours it was reclaimed forest land so it wasn't like regular forest it was just like perfectly straight rows of trees that just go on forever and every now and then there's like an access road and so we literally like walked around in the rain and these weird like back access roads in the middle of nowhere and surrounded by all of these trees that weren't fully grown yet but they were all the exact same size and they were planted in exactly straight rows and exactly straight columns and brian do you have a question for lupine okay this is a question for rosa through lupine in the last scenario has your opinion of adults changed and if so how if it's possible like they were even less help 
this time than in the last one. They put the bar even lower. I didn't think it could get worse, but they did. Uh, Rose's opinion of the adults did not really get any better. Grown-ups, ew! <laughs> They've got cooties. Yes, we do. All right, Lupine, you got a question for Matt. So, Matt, when you met the creature thing... I was like, oh shit, Diego's going to turn against us and be like hostile towards us. And I want to know if you ever had that thought. There was uh, a a period in between episodes where I seriously sat and considered if Diego would take that offer seriously. And it was a very close call in consideration for him. It was very, very close to me just saying yes and like running away with her, him, them, they... Mostly because where he was is he's very much, or he was very much just in a, I need to get away from everything kind of mood. And that was the ultimate, you know, get away free card. Great way to do it is to, you know, run off into the middle of nowhere with a giant monster never to be seen again. Or maybe be a recurring villain later on in the podcast. Uh, Matt, do you got a question for me? Back when we were first introduced to Camp Mulholland, you had a very lengthy list of uh, potential daytime activities that we could engage in. And in the end, we only saw a very small sliver of those. Were there any of the activities that you really wanted us to do because you had something fun or something interesting planned that we we just never got to see? Not really. No, it was uh, really just there to build the flavor for the camp itself, which is why, if you remember at the time, I encouraged you guys to think of other activities that, that because i only had like a set thing let's be real all you wanted was us to take our clothes off and put our smooches on <laughs> he's like somebody suggested somebody suggested it was more about just trying to see if we could get you guys to build some skills that would possibly help you later on which did nothing <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, my question is for Lupine. Now, Rosa seemed to take an instant dislike to Lindsay, Ben's new love interest. Was that jealousy on Rosa's part or something else? There might have been a bit of jealousy, but not because uh, Rosa ever considered Ben romantically. I think more is because Rosa was friends with Ben and this was taking time away from their friendship. But Mostly, it's because Lindsay seemed so useless. (laughs) But Rosa felt like sort of protective of Ben because uh, after our experience with the fungus things, Rosa was very much like, we are the only things, we are the only people that are going to help us. Uh, She didn't like that Lindsay was now being led into this club. And then it turned out that Lindsay was useless. (laughs) (laughs) And especially after losing Kyle, Ben felt like the only thing Rosa had. Thank you, Lupine. Um, So the next question is from your mother, who asks, were all the things in the camp related? I feel like there was a sister thing that we never heard from again. Maybe I'm just forgetting. I thought that was who was doing the slugs and not father-mother. Otherwise, did the investigators leave a shambling slug spewing horror to its own devices? So, you know, the things in the camp weren't all related, for sure. I mean, they sort of were, except for maybe the Joseph thing. I I sort of wanted to marry those two concepts that, you know, the Joseph spirit thing. It was essentially kind of a red herring in a way, sort of covering up this cryptid storyline with father, mother, and brother, sister, and then the rock at the bottom of the lake. The rock at the bottom of the lake created father, mother, who then begat 
brother-sister. Brother-sister is probably the sister you're thinking of, unless you're referring to the sister that was in the epilogue, which was the original Brigitte. In the prologue, sorry. In the prologue, it's Brigitte who is being kidnapped by brother-sister. I laid the groundwork there of those kids getting one of them being kidnapped, but then we find out later that they actually showed up. They were found at the edge of the forest, but it's not Brigitte who was found. It was brother or sister. Yeah. And that that's how they infiltrated and got to the camp. And then they got to the camp and then essentially absorbed the actual brother, Nikki. And now the slug thing, the Chthonian, it's, it's actually the creature I used as a model for that. Uh, a sort of worm-like formless creature. But then I gave him these shape-shifting abilities and so forth. So now brother-sister could now become either uh, Nikki or Brigitte. All I know is now somebody is their own grandpa. Hey, Uncle Dad, can I go out? It was the inexperience of Bricky or brother-sister accidentally creating the leech zombies by essentially attacking Peter and infusing him with the first sort of poison Ah. and making him the origination of the leech zombies uh, without their knowledge that that was going to happen. Right. Father, mother, as you recall, told brother, sister that something like that could happen. Could happen, yep. But they never took it seriously because they're teenagers. Who listens to their parents? Like, come on. They were emotionally stunted. Um, It's really just like an after-school special, the whole damn thing. So which kid had to change their bathing suit? Well, I mean, if you're changing into one person to another, that's sort of like changing your bathing suit. A flesh bathing suit, if you will. And and so the the last part of your question is, uh, did the investigators leave a shambling slug spewing horror to its own devices? We don't know that yet. I will say the epilogue that I'm going to be releasing next Tuesday may answer a little tinge of that, but I don't want to give anything away. K-17, Slug Zombie Apocalypse. You heard it here first. Uh, Brian, do you got a question for me? It seemed like a very short time frame for the scenario. Was that on purpose to, to push us in and keep us moving? You know, there were certain things that needed to transpire, and it was up to you guys how quickly that would have evolved. Once we found out that Peter was dead, not just sick, I had to figure out, like, okay, well, Lem needs to get back at a certain point. It wouldn't make sense for him to be gone for a long, long time. So I had to work out all the details. What did his journey entail? And how soon or how late could I forestall him from getting back? And what were those roadblocks? So I built this whole backstory as to what happened with Lem. The latest I could make him get there is probably early in the morning on on that following day. I sort of built it from that, and then you guys experienced the events according to that timeline. I was wondering, because if Diego hadn't gotten lost, and that kind of opened up the story more. I didn't get lost. I was taking the scenic route. Okay, uh, Matt, do you have a question for Lupine? Between Ben picking up a new relationship and everybody moving through those awkward teenage years with hormones raging. Do you feel like what happened at camp is going to alter the way that, that Rosa sees Ben? Is that going to change your relationship in any meaningful way? She's going to try not to because Ben is still the only person who went through that first, uh, the fungus thing. It, Depends on how much time sort of gets from Ben. Right now, she has no plans to treat him any differently. All right, uh, Lupine, do you have a question for Brian? After the last investigation, I sort of changed the way that Rosa saw adults, but like 
I want to know how Ben might have considered adults differently and then also just how it might have changed his actions if he like like Rosa totally was totally like okay we're the only ones who are going to help us and is that sort of how you played Ben um I I actually did that's why I had such attitude with Tammy just because I knew why even bother trying but seeing that Lem believed us and actually tried to hit at the best he could like shelter us and take us get us out of there that that kind of sparked a little bit of of trust in adults for me that that put me on a, a little bit different path all right i have a question for matt what do you think diego's future would have been if he joined ricky as a kind of renfield sidekick it would have been very much a stuck in time moment for him by basically st- solving his problem with his parents by running away he's never gonna learn to be better to get over it or to work through those feelings and so he's as long as he lives going to be stuck as this very angsty teenage kid who doesn't know how to handle any kind of negative feelings or emotions and at some point he'd probably end up running away from them too because that's all he knows what to do whenever he has any kind of uncomfortable situation or he's unhappy he just runs and that's probably just who he'd be for the rest of his life of somebody who who never stops anywhere for more than you know a couple of days before disappearing into the wind again do you think bricky would have held up their end of the bargain they never made any kind of move that made me think they wouldn't hold up their end of their bargain like anytime i you know they answered the questions that i had and they told me the truth and when i you know i let i showed them oh look at you know what's going on it went from, I'm angry at you for talking to, oh my gosh, what have I done? It wasn't, you know, a, oh, well, this is your fault and you shouldn't have done this kind of thing. They didn't lie to him. They didn't try and cheat him. They didn't. Ricky didn't fucking gaslight you. <laughs> yeah. That little shimmer of humanity at the end was surprising to me as a player. Yeah. When there was that turnaround, I was like, oh, wait, what? Uh, looks like our final question for from the audience tonight is again from Crossy. Thank you, Crow, for submitting to this. And this is a question for for Brian and Lupine. If Brigitte Nikki had approached Ben or Rosa, would they have taken them up on their offer? Hell no. I would have probably played it to trick Bricky and try to find a weakness. I think the same thing for Rosa. Because even when Diego seemed to trust Bricky to do what they want, said they were going to do. Rosa was like, no, they're going to turn on us. <laughs> and I sort of created this creature and the situation to play on that because I knew that you guys would be distrustful. So I was hoping that I would be able to sway you with the humanity to sort of reconsider that not everything is evil or good. I thought it was interesting that we had a new person, you know, someone who hadn't had to deal with the fungus stuff but came in emotionally damaged like severely fresh diego was a delectable morsel for bricky to hone in on and realize that was probably the most opportune person to attempt to sway them uh we have a a question in chat from i swing a bit more Uh, For everyone, it seems like the investigators are running out of people to trust at an early age and the most advanced version of coming of age. 
How do you think that will affect their growth as teenagers when they get back from camp? How do you think the investigators' families will react knowing their sanctuary was anything but? How do you think your mom's going to take that? I think she's going to feel guilty because she pushed to have me go, thinking it would help me mentally with the situation that happened in town. I might have a little chip on my shoulder, too. Okay, so it's going to provide some friction between you and your mom. Maybe mainly on my side and not acknowledging it because I don't have the maturity level to know why I feel that way. You know, when you ask a teenager, like, how was school? And they're like, uh, fine. I think that's pretty much going to be Rose's, like, how was camp? Uh, fine. I think Rose is going to kind of try to downplay it. But I do think that before this, I sort of thought about Rosa a little bit before the first scenario, how she thought of her parents and her family. And I think they're pretty tight. And she respected her parents. And I think that she is rapidly losing respect for them. They send her away. And yeah, I think Rose is turning into a very distrustful person. Mom and dad are just going to be like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, so about this thing that's happened. No matter what they would have read, it would have very much been okay, but here's what's happening here and now. Of all of these guys, Diego has the most potential for a wide variety of changes to his growth as a teenager because his sanity is lessened to a a great degree. Yeah, you Looney Tunes. And honestly, even with the sanity loss, as weird, I want to call it almost like a perverse, but a very backwards, twisted kind of way, it was almost a positive thing for him. Because, yeah, a bunch of people died, but when it came down to the critical moment, he saw more or less someone just like himself and Bricky making taking that same decision that he had been struggling with, whether to, to stay and do the responsible thing and do the right thing or to run away. And they made the choice to stay and that, you know, it was more important that they do what's right and that they, you know, try and make it work. Despite the fact that, you know, we both had very dysfunctional families and we were both initially looking to kind of get away from that instead of really solve it. So it's almost, like I said, in a very weird twisted way probably a good thing that it happened to him when it did brian do you have a question for matt after running into trouble with the last two characters that you've had have you as a per as a player examined your play style and do you plan on making any changes or sticking with the character that's on the sheet i like it when weird stuff happens it makes the story a lot more interesting than going around and I mean, no offense to people that are, you know, hardcore min-max, what's the best I can possibly do, best way I can make this. If that's how you like to play games, cool. I like to just kind of ride and, and see what happens. And I feel like the the weird things that happen to Diego just make him a more interesting character in the end. All right, uh, Matt, do you got a question for Brian? At the start of this scenario, Diego came in having... A little bit of a connection to Rosa, considering they're cousins, but Ben had zero frame of reference, zero understanding for who Diego was as uh, as a kid, as a person, as a personality. What was Ben's thoughts or perspective on, on Diego at the beginning, and how did going through this whole thing with the summer camp change the, that perspective? Um, at the beginning, I thought you were a bully, but a bully that was being a bully on purpose to hide something else. By the end of it, I realized that you were, Diego was a strong person that just had a lot of crap thrown at them. And they were trying to figure it all out all at the same time in this horrible scenario. And I kind of admired that, that you, that Diego held it together 
enough with everything that we saw and everything that was happening to come out as a leader. Uh, Lupine, do you have a question for me? The whole antagonism between father, mother, and Bricky, did you always have that in mind? Or did something we do facilitate that? I don't think I conceived of it as, hey, let's go kill father, mother. I don't think that was actually in the cards initially. The concept of Diego's parents going through the thing, I thought he might be an easy target for something like that. What's the easiest way to get to him is a parent-child dynamic. But I needed some sort of in if this thing was a teenager acting like a teenager, despite it's a really old worm, then uh, it would have an analog to Diego's experience. But I guess I didn't know until maybe episode two or three that um, it would be this plot to kill father mother because as you know i I write as i go along your actions influence me i sort of absorb what you've done and as i review what we did tonight then tomorrow when i start writing then i would factor some of that stuff in and see where it took it and honestly it could have been any one of you guys it wasn't just diego i just said here's the situation and one of these guys hopefully will be approached and we'll see what happens and diego just sort of played along with it so i was like this is working out well and so then that spiraled off into its own little thing where he gets to see his the ghost of his father. Yeah. Final question for tonight, guys, is from me to Brian. Ben's psychic connection to father-mother boosted your Cthulhu mythos skill. How do you suppose that will influence his outlook on practical magic now that he's aware that there are perhaps more mysterious forces in the universe. I think that Ben, realizing that there's something real out there that can be attained, is going to try to incorporate that, learn as much as he can, but incorporate that into the tricks of a magician, but make them beyond belief to most people that witness the tricks. Lord of Illusions. Mind Freaks. Mind free. Ben's going total Clyde Barker, <laughs> yeah. baby. He's going to change his name to Chris Angel. You want my homework? Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is it for the normal questions, but I wanted to ask, did you guys pick up any Easter eggs that you can talk about? Um, I don't celebrate Easter. I love eggs, though. I don't celebrate eggs. Okay, so I'll just go through a few of the Easter eggs that I I remembered. All the episode titles, according to Crow, were creatures from various mythologies. And that's true. Almost all the titles reference bloodsuckers, whether it is in mythology or in other cultures. Don't forget to Google them. In the prologue, Tale of the Pup was an actual Los Angeles hot dog stand. Glizzy. Counselor Lem, obviously is young Lemworth Dortmunderson from Case 12, Color of Lightning. I love Lem. Petition to bring Lem to high school with us. Lem is the new school counselor. (laughs) And the principal. He teaches basket weaving. Joseph is obviously a reference to Jason in Friday the 13th. Yes. But also 1980s The Changeling with George C. Scott. Oh. Camp Mulholland was established the same date as Camp Crystal Lake. Ah. I put that together. Nikki Brigitte is somewhat informed by Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Oh. I wanted something that could change shape, but also be hermaphroditic so they can fuck themselves. Jim is like hashtag life goals. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. Literally. The leech zombies are obviously a nod to Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps. Yep. One of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's a great movie. 
Oh, I thought it was Princess Mononoke. The leech-eating fish is an oblique reference to the dolphins in Jaws 3. Huh. The fireworks solution is a reference to Stephen King's Silver Bullet, where Corey Haim fights off the werewolf with a firework. Who's the priest? Haha, <laughs> spoilers. All right, guys, that's it for this episode of the Lovecraft Tapes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Meanwhile, visit lovecrafttapes.com for up-to-date information about our podcast and subscribe to our live streams at twitch.tv slash lovecrafttapes or youtube.com slash lovecrafttapes. You can chat with me in real time at discord.lovecrafttapes.com. And if anybody wants to hitch a ride on my segue to hell, now with complimentary ho-hos, you can book your spot uh, by finding me on either Mastodon or Blue Sky at The Real Weird Kid. And if anyone would like to join my Goat Lovers Club, come leave me a note on my Linktree, linktree slash lupinvendetta, all one word. If anybody wants to hear more about my... uh swimsuit area put swimsuit area and tag me in discord and i will give it a thumbs up i want i want to know yeah yeah we're gonna be the first ones to do that in fact i'm gonna do it right now (laughs) until next time roll four i i feel i feel a presence oh god it's, it's K-17, Seance 9. The Lovecraft Tapes podcast is copyright 2023. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes. Anyways, here we are. We're at nine o'clock, so we're going to go ahead and segue down the... Segue down, segue down the road. Oh, oh, oh. I'm on a segue to hell. <laughs> Two <laughs> wheels to go. That weird kid survives. Survives. Well, so far. <laughs> Not for much longer, though. The night is early. <laughs> or young. The night was moist. <laughs> so Ooh. was my ointment. Oh, everyone loves a moist ointment. Moistment.